Welcome back to NALFA's Affordable Housing Podcast. My name is Allison Ward, NALFA's Membership and Operations Associate. For our discussion today, I'm joined by Kristen and Melissa from Washington County CDA, recent recipients of a NALFA Award of Excellence for their project, Glen at Valley Creek. We are also joined by Michelle Pribble from LHB Inc. and Craig Tice from Collier's Mortgage to help tell the story of this award-winning project. Thank you all for joining me today and congratulations again. Thanks, Allison. So let's set the scene for our listeners. Can you tell me the story behind the project and what problems it sought to address in the community? Yeah, so this is Melissa and um, the Washington County CDA. So we're located in the Twin Cities metro area and in the state of Minnesota. And Washington County is um, on the east side of St. Paul and um, borders with the state of Wisconsin. We have a very high uh, rent market um, for our region anyway. And so in order to afford um, our one and two bedroom apartments, you need to have uh, income of about 40,000 to $43,000. And most of our seniors who are living on social security do not have that high level of income to afford their rents. We have one of the highest cost burden for senior renters in the state of Minnesota. Um, And so 69% of our senior renters are paying more than 30% of their income towards the rent. And that percentage goes up the lower your income is. So our agency has been looking for solutions on how to finance and increase the supply of renter rental units for seniors that would be affordable at that 30% of the area median income. And so that's where the Glen at Valley Creek comes in um, to address that um, long-term, very low income affordability. Um, That is more difficult based on the financing market in the state of Minnesota. Um, Most of our senior buildings are built with uh, private activity tax exempt bonds coupled with the 4% tax credits. Our state, we are oversubscribed every single year and it's very difficult to get an allocation of bonds in order to do that bond issuance and make that uh, finance plan work. And so um, we wanna talk about that today and, um, and the CDA's role in this development. Most uh, private developers cannot make that deep affordability happen. And so the CDA stepped in to do that. And the Glenet Valley Creek was built in the city of Woodbury. And there are, you know, we tried to not only tackle those couple things, but also to clean up a site that has been a very old homestead, one that predates the state of Minnesota's creation. Um, and Uh, was owned by a former garbage hauler who we were concerned about the contamination on that site and and the proximity to a number of city wells that supplied water uh, to the rest of the city. So those are kind of the challenges that we presented with. All right. Sounds like you had a nice playing field to get started on. So can you share with me more about the partnership that you built with both Michelle and Craig and how their roles played into the creation of this project? Yes. 
Um, so we have been working with Michelle's architecture, architecture firm, firm, LHB Inc., um, to design a de, um, an apartment building on a very tight site uh, with 42 units, three stories with underground parking that accommodated seniors aging in place and the ability to add services as people needed them. Craig's role was as bond underwriter with uh, formerly Doherty Mortgage and now Collier's. And um, we brought him in to help us place those bonds, issue those bonds. And, um, and Craig will talk about the finance and bond market at that time that required us to do um, a, a variety of changes along the way. So that actually segues nicely into my next question. So let's dive into the nitty gritty of the funding behind this project. Can you tell me more about the funding sources that you utilized and how you came to acquire the support? Thank you. So this is Craig over at Collier Securities. Uh, you know, it was interesting. I look back in time to when I first talked to Melissa about this project and it was November 15th of 2017. Uh, Melissa had reached out because they had a mission and conviction to get this project done for the CDA. They were working to get a bond allocation and, and real high level, I would say, state of Minnesota, she touched on that over the last few years, the bond allocation, the demand for the bonds has been two to three times oversubscribed. Prior to 2020, the state level had a different allocation or priority to projects that would receive an award of bonds. Since this project was age restricted, they were not um, in a position to receive award or eligible to receive an award until July of each year. So affordable housing without age restriction was granted first and then senior restricted projects. So uh, Melissa had reached out, um, they, and she'll touch on how they got bonds with their neighboring um, county, but she reached out because uh, in short order, there was the threat that the tax exempt designation that bonds could have was in jeopardy via the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was um, at the Senate level, at the national level, I should say, the legislature. Um, the risk they were facing is at the time to get this project built, they needed both uh, tax credit equity as well as many other sources. And should the designation on the bonds be eliminated, um, the ability to use 4% tax credits also went away with it because you had to use tax exempt bond proceeds, to finance at least 50% of the basis in these projects. So in short order, uh, we put wheels in motion and it was pretty much one of three different financing scenarios that we looked at. Uh, but the first thing we wanted to do was preserve their tax exemption. So from the time of November 15th of 2017 until December 20th of 2017, we structured a, a finance vehicle that would allow us to go get a, a rated transaction completed, bonds sold, and essentially proceeds put in escrow. The intention was at that time that if Congress would elect to eliminate tax exemption on bonds such as these, that Melissa and the CDA would be able to, in 2018, secure a first mortgage financing and without getting too far in the weeds, use this other first mortgage financing with the bonds that were essentially held in escrow and structured in a way that would allow her to put the bonds into the project. Um, that went well for the most part, but fortunately I think it was December 23rd of that year 
um, the threat of losing the designation of the tax exemption was lifted and we were able to do more of a, a traditional financing. We started off working with the CDA using a, a proposed HUD financing for the project. We actually went down the path and had a concept meeting with HUD and we were interested in using a conventional HUD 221D4 financing coupled with bonds to build a project. This project, uh, as Melissa and Kristen will get into, I believe it ended up having about 15 different layers of a capital stack, about a foot tall. And whenever you do that, when you have multiple different state and local agencies, you run into subordination issues. Um, in this case, uh, we very much liked the credit because there was also a partial lease levy or a levy, I should say, that was part of the security for the end issue. All of those complicating factors that make this deal so unique and interesting also made it difficult to get done with HUD. And so I would say then mid-2018, we switched gears again. We tried to find a way that we could utilize the bond allocation that the CDA received in the, to the tune of $7 million to meet the 50% test. To complicate things further, typically you do so when you have a first mortgage financing that can support $7 million. In this case, we did not. The project, even with levy support from the county through the CDA, could support about $5 million in bonds. So we're almost there, but not complete. And so we ended up doing two series of bonds. The first one was a first mortgage bond. It was a non-rated instrument, uh, year and a half interest only, 18-year term. I'd had 35 years of amortization. That's a construction permanent finance vehicle without credit enhancement. That product allowed us to uh, use more art than science, as I would call it, in terms of what buyers of that security would look for. We were able to work with the CDA and use their projected revenues off of the project, but with the steep subsidy, those were limited. It allowed us to work in the levy from the county through the CDA, um, but it still didn't get us to our 50% test. So we had to figure out a way to put another 2 million of taxes and proceeds into the project. And so what we did is um, when you're doing a tax credit deal like this, all of you probably know, uh, you have a portion of your tax credit equity that comes in at closing and then you have future installments. And oftentimes you need to bridge those installments so you have sufficient funds to build the project. And that's what we did. We actually set it up so that the CDA could be a direct purchaser of 2 million of bonds. And what they then did is they then, then made a tax exempt loan to the project to bridge 2 million of the tax credit equity. So in total between the first mortgage financing and the unique tax credit bridge loan all of which was tax exempt, we were able to meet the 50% test and contribute two sources to the capital stack. And the rest of the credit for all of the other layers goes to the CDA for pulling together. Cut. And then Allison, I would um, point out a couple um, unique opportunities that um, presented themselves with our financing. So. Craig and I both talked about uh, the oversubscription at the state for the tax exempt bond allocation. In Minnesota, uh, the State Housing Finance Agency, Minneapolis, St. Paul, and one of our suburban neighbors, Dakota County, receive a direct allocation of those bonds. And 
Um, so normally we would, as a developer, apply to the, the, not the state housing finance agency, but a state management and budget office. And um, because we knew of um, the backlog in applications, we knew that we couldn't wait until the next July to make that application, nor would we be competitive enough to, you know, um, be able to get those. So we talked with Dakota County uh, CDA, which is also a, a NELFA member, about whether or not they had um, unallocated bonds that we could make use of for this project. So we did that. The other thing that's unique in Minnesota is we have a number of sub-allocators of the LIHTC. So uh, the Washington County CDA was able to be that sub-allocator of those 4% credits with that bond allocation. So. Sounds like it was definitely a team effort. You guys have a wonderful team and it's very, very great for our listeners to hear about that. So let's talk about the property itself. What are the details of the design that supports the needs of the tenants and what kind of services do you offer at the property? I can speak a little bit to the, I can speak to the design and Kristen can speak to the services. Um, this is Michelle Pribble with LHB again. Um, it was a, an interesting site and so sort of a um, nice um, prominent spot in the, in the city, um, right at a nice corner location close to parks and, and other services. Um, a little bit complicated in that there was a, a sharp rise to the site and it's fairly a fairly tight site to fit the size of the building that we needed to fit on the site. So we had to get pretty creative with fitting it on there in a way that would be still very pleasant for residents to live and, and functional as far as um, access and parking and providing sufficient landscaping um, to, um, provide enjoyment for the residents. Um, we were able to do things like provide a screen porch and walking paths on the site and pretty substantial landscaping considering the small size of the site. Um, we also had to meet city um, building material requirements. So there's quite a bit of brick on the building, which makes it very attractive. It was of course a budget challenge given all of the um, uh, budget challenges there were just getting the project funded that Melissa and Craig mentioned. Um, we can talk more, I believe, later about some of the specifics of the um, senior housing um, pilot and some of the features that we incorporated there. I'll turn over to Kristen to talk about services. So in terms of the services, um, we went into this essentially trying to provide an independent housing scenario where folks can age in community by bringing the services and the resources they need in-house um, and, and provide flexibility of choice and provider with that. We know that a lot of folks who are of lower income are likely gonna be um, making use of wavered services through the county um, for in-home healthcare. So we tried to figure out what is our role in that? If we're not gonna have a designated service provider, how do we make sure that folks are able to make connections with the um, other resources that they need in the community? So we've been working for a while now with a group called Canvas Health. Um, they provide some service coordination at our senior properties elsewhere in the portfolio. And essentially we put them in um, the building as kind of the service coordinator or navigator. So as folks are moving into the building, they have a chance to meet with the service coordinator, talk with them about any particular concerns they have, any needs um, with in-home health um, 
services or a meal delivery or transportation or just kind of let's try and understand the whole landscape of this particular household's um, situation and make the connections as they're appropriate. So um, Canvas Health Senior Services Coordinators do have set hours at the building and meet with the residents. Folks can come down anytime during office hours if they got a question about a phone bill, they got a letter, if they got a, you know, scam call from social security, anything like that, they can pop in um, and know that there's somebody there to help them navigate those questions. Great. So I want to go back and touch on something that Michelle mentioned, the senior pilot program. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that looks like? I'm going to jump in on how that came to be. So um, the senior pilot program um, provided a half a million dollars to um, our capital stack that Craig said was a foot high. Um, one of the many sources that we received that was state, regional, or local funds. And the senior pilot program came about from the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency um, as a number of um, housing authorities across the state were asking for additional resources to uh, increase the supply of senior housing. And Minnesota housing has always um, prioritized family housing over senior. And so that, that's why our, we don't, we're not able to build age-restricted housing with our 9% LIHTC. And um, so, but there, the 4% with the bonds, particularly with the oversubscription of those bonds was not getting, meeting the need for the demand to build those. And so they, um, offered up a pilot program, which um, was meant to be a demonstration of new models for senior housing that would be both assisted living and independent living. The Glen at Valley Creek is independent living with the ability to add those additional home health services. And then I'm gonna ask Michelle to talk about the design features that came with that pilot program. Sure. So, um, Allison, uh, Minnesota Housing Finance Agency, for any project that they fund, they have certain design standards that they require uh, that come with their funding that relate to um, space requirements, material requirements, sustainability requirements. But with the senior pilot, they had an, an additional list on top of that of things that they really wanted to see tackled in the senior buildings that were part of this pilot. And that ranged from things like um, providing a covered entrance for dropping people off, providing walking paths on the site, to um, drilling down to details in the units of um, providing more accessibility, such as um, pull-out drawers in the kitchens rather than having to lean down and reach into your cabinet to get everything, um, handheld shower heads in the shower. So things that, whether you're actually mobility impaired to the point that you're in a wheelchair or just, you know, 75 years old and needing a little bit of assistance, um, those things were provided. So a lot of it was, was common sense um, design features that we would typically provide in senior housing anyway, but it was just nice to see actually the housing finance agency acknowledge that these things would really be helpful for seniors. Some of the other features were slightly wider hallways. So if you have two people passing you know, wheelchair and scooter, um, you have enough room to get past each other, handrail one side of the corridor, um, higher level of lighting, which we, we took not only the 
electric lighting, but we also tried to introduce daylighting wherever we could into spaces so that you have more natural lighting as well. So those are some of the, some of the functional features. Um, some of the other things that we always try to incorporate that they also um, emphasize in the senior pilot were um, things that build community, like having community room, a community room near the lobby, having nice seating in the lobby where people can actually sit and have informal conversations, see people coming and going, um, uh, seating along corridors or near the stairs so that if you're, you can have casual interactions with your neighbors without having to plan it out. Um, we also located the stair right next to the elevator with some really big windows in the stairs to encourage people who are able to, to be active and to use the stairs. Um, there's a reading room in the adjacent to the community room that before COVID, I saw many times um, residents gathered around tables doing puzzles together. They talked about cooking together and it was just nice to see that community building happening so quickly. And I think that that is partly attributable to the, the staff on site, partly attributable to the, to the design and, and the efforts that Washington County CDA made. Sounds like you've created a wonderful environment for your tenants. So to wrap things up, following this experience, can you share some insight to our listeners who might be wanting to start an affordable housing project like yours? And what are some best practices or lessons learned throughout the course of your project? Allison, I think, um, you know, with this, we were trying to create something that fits into a suburban size. And I think that that's very difficult to do, particularly when you're trying to get to that very deep affordability. It makes it even more difficult to do that. And, you know, it doesn't cost any less to build something um, uh, that's affordable versus a luxury um, apartment building. And so I think, you know, you touched on it before about having the right partners. And um, Colliers has been phenomenal. LHB has been phenomenal. Our partners with Dakota County CDA and the Minnesota Housing Finance Agency have been phenomenal. Um, and you know, when we look at that financing stack, a couple other things that um, came into play is there's a regional group, Metropolitan Council, that provided um, a significant um, subordinate loan as well as one of our regional partners, Senior Care Communities, um, which is a, non, a local nonprofit. And without those funds, you know, I mean, it's all that half a million, half a million, half a million, and those add up, you know, so Craig talked about um, the debt that can be um, on this, or that we could support was um, 5 million. There's 3 million plus of tax credit equity and another three to 4 million of um, of subordinate financing that came from these other partners. And that has been essential. And I would recommend that to anyone while it causes some challenges, you know, when you have that many more partners, it definitely makes things um, a viable option. Otherwise we, I don't know where we would be without that. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure to speak with all of you. Thank you, Allison. All right. Thank you again for listening to the Now for Affordable Housing podcast. Be sure to join us next time for more insightful affordable housing discussions.